This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It's episode 678 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick, and be warned, Harry Styles, when you spit on Chris Pine, you're not just starting beef with a beloved American actor, you are spitting on Captain Kirk, which means you are spitting on Starfleet, sir. And I'm your head number two, my name is Matt Baum, and you may be cute, Harold, but you're going to want to apologize and make it sound good before you end up popped in a Battleship-class drive-by, defiant-style Joe Patrick. Who would have guessed we'd be living in a world with Star Trek and One Direction beef? The post-pandemic timeline is real weird. The Cosmic Longbox returns this episode, and it's forcing us to review back-issue comics based on a theme. So bust out your loincloths and horn helmets, nerds, because this one is going to be barbaric. After that, we'll hit you with our must-read picks for next week, but now. Hey, look! It's the Cosmic Longbox Ride! Wow, neat! Give me a break. I don't like this! Whoa, what's happening? Whoa! Whoa. It's back! It's back! It's review time in the cigarette! This time, the Cosmic Longbox has us watching... This time, the Cosmic Longbox has been watching way too much House of the Dragon and Rings of Power. So it's got swords and sorceries, comics on the brain, but not just any fantasy will do. Our theme this week is swords and soups. That's right. We'll be talking about what happens when our favorite superheroes get pulled into ancient worlds to do battle with demons, dragons, and Stygian magics. Joe Patrick, why don't you start us off? The tale of that time when Spidey met a fiery redhead from a wholly different time and world. Wow. Uh, I think, it, I mean, it also applies that, uh, you know, demons, dragons, and Stygian magics get pulled from ancient worlds into the modern day. Yeah, sure, So sure. it could go both ways. Both ways, both ways. As it does in Marvel Team-Up number 79, this came from Marvel Comics. The year was 1978. It's written by Chris Claremont. The art is by John Byrne. And here is your solicit courtesy of MyComicShop.com. Thanks, guys. Hey. Sword of the She-Devil. I added that in because I, I typed it. I accidentally typed She-Devil and I thought it was funny. Oh, okay. An emergency situation is developing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. The Daily Bugle dispatches Peter Parker and a reporter to the site. <laughs> it's just some guy. Yeah. But someone else sneaks along, Mary Jane Watson. The web slinger quickly enters the museum and is attacked by grotesque monsters. Mary Jane rushes inside to help the struggling wall crawler, but what can she do? How about grab the ancient sword of Red Sonia? And in a dazzling transformation, Mary Jane Watson becomes Red Sonia. Now, the amazing Spider-Man and the She-Devil with a sword team up against the evil sorcerer Coolin Gath. Will New York City survive? And Ms. Watson, too? An excellent story. Cameo appearance by Clark Kent on page three. <laughs> Notes. This is a key appearance of Mary Jane Watson during the time period between 1979 and 1983, 
when she rarely appeared in any of the Spider-Man titles. Oh, really? I did not know that. So this is Claremont being like, I want Mary Jane in it. Deal with it. I don't know. I guess. Uh, Coolin Gath appears next in Uncanny X-Men number 190, which I will mention again later. This is the final issue of the Claremont Burn run on Marvel Team-Up, uh, which, again, I will mention later. This issue can also be found reprinted in Marvel Tales number 208. First of all, Huge props to the excellent summary and story notes from mycomicshop.com, uh, you know, by local kids. <laughs> what we have here is the Claremont and Byrne team nearing the peak of their powers. While the duo had been burning up the charts on Uncanny X-Men for about a year at this point, they were also doing this side gig off and on since Marvel team-up number 59. Now, I can't do math, but that was... Uh, what issue is this? 79? Yeah. That was 20 issues prior. A so long time ago. A little less than two years prior. Some of my very first comics came from this run decades before I would discover the X-Men. It's so funny to see them together in this context in retrospect. The X-Men got all the love, but this team also delivered some really dynamite Spidey stories. But I digress. This issue is gorgeous, as you would expect. There are monsters and sorcerers and gibbering portals and Red Sonia and all her busty delight. I loved that part of the plot revolves around the villain being too damn horrified by the modern world to keep fighting, which happened in more than one of our books this week. <laughs> Claremont also displays his knack for seeding storylines that would take years to pay off as Cool and Gath's mystical amulet would rear its ugly head again in Uncanny X-Men number 190 in 1985. But my favorite part of the story is that while none of the characters can understand each other due to an ancient language barrier, that doesn't stop Spidey and Sonya from recognizing each other as allies and kicking ass. Marvel Team Up 79 is an absolute delight from start to finish and was the best thing I read this week. Maybe. Ooh, missed. Oh, I see what you're doing. That's good. I mean, we gotta keep them, keep them in suspense. For I the like end. it. Selling it for later. I dig oh, it. Oh, this is a buy. It. Sorry, I guess I forgot to say that it's a buy. It. Yeah, you don't think about this team when you think Spider-Man, but they really. Did. It's like they also did it. They also worked on Iron Fist. Yeah, like they uh, together. So they wrote some great Spider-Man stuff. I love that Iron Fist run that they're on. Yeah, this. You know, I don't know a whole lot about Red Sonia other than she's busty. She has a sword and she wears a bikini, right? And she's here whooping ass, doing her thing. They both get pulled. It's very clever what Claremont does, pulling them both like into modern day, but they're in a museum that very much looks like ancient Stygian, wherever the hell they're from, Hyperborea or some crap. So they're just yeah, like, yeah, it's we're, it's, it's, we're just fighting. And, and there's a guy in pajamas here that runs on the walls, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah, like somehow, somehow the interior decorating still looks like a temple in ancient... Well, that was the whole installation that Spider-Man says. He's like, I was just here two weeks ago photographing this. They set it up to look just like it. They must think that's where they're at. You know, that's Claremont working at at a very high level. This looks great. It was a ton of fun. This is how you do a stupid crossover like this. We're going to talk about several others that don't work as well later. I'm giving this one a buy it. (laughs) No, they do not. I will tell the future in your Andrews, Red Woman. I know my future. You have none. Let's stick with Marvel in the 70s and talk about Avengers number 84 from Marvel. It was 1971 when this came out. This was written by Roy Thomas with art by John Bushima. Big John. 
Here's your uh, setup, if you will. It's a battle of the two most dramatic screaming lunatics you've ever seen. The Black Knight versus Archon the Magnificent. The Black Knight was on what he keeps calling a, quote, very personal mission <laughs> to the well at the center of time. And it seems like he just wanted to see if he could throw his ebony blade down the well, but he can't stop screaming. And it's so loud that Archon shows up with the Enchantress. Like, literally, every panel that he's in, in the beginning is like, the ebony blade! It calls to me! <laughs> Take it easy, dude. <laughs> he's really mad about it. It's a curse. I guess. He doesn't, he doesn't like it. And then when Archon shows up, he's just like, oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's just a battle of the screamers. Archon's just <laughs> intense. That's just how he is. Oh, I love him. Archon had a similar character journey as Conan. He was a barbarian that became ruler of his planet, not just his, you know, country or kingdom. Polymachus was the name of the planet, but his planet was dying. Polemachus. Sure. Polemachus, I think, is probably how you pronounce that. Polemachus. The, the only way that they could save the planet was the atomic annihilation of the Earth. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> it was a thing, which is how he met the Avengers through another Scarlet Witch mistake that almost killed the whole planet. Later, he would become Thundra's main squeeze, but that's another story. Here, he's still got a thing for the Scarlet Witch, and he keeps trying to intimidate her into dating him. Pig. Avengers Mansion then gets transported to Polycomus, and the Enchantress uses her voice to command them to not have powers i guess but goliath is still big is he always I believe big? he's because he's trapped at that size for a time okay because i was wondering like because he's just huge the whole time like so much so yeah. that he's running through hallways with his head down yes he is stuck at you know 30 feet tall or however tall he is is there a reason that he speaks jive it's hawkeye did hawkeye speak jive He's not speaking jive. He's speaking like Hawkeye. He's he's yeah. Hawkeye, not Hank Pym. Yeah, but he's like, we got to go find Groovy Thor, brother. <laughs> no, he doesn't talk like that. You no. Want me to find a couple lines? He doesn't say we got to go find the Groovy Thor, brother. He doesn't say Groovy. He might say brother, he but it was the 70s. definitely says brother, and no one else is talking like that. Vision, after losing his powers, completely gives up and starts whining until Black Panther realizes the Enchantress spell works with literally anyone's command, which... Is pretty shitty magic, if you ask me. <laughs> the Avengers then bust out, repowered. The Black Knight chases Archon. He throws a lightning bolt at the Ebony Blade. The Ebony Blade gets thrown at Archon, and the bolt hits it, and it flies into the well. Then Archon immediately realizes the Enchantress is a liar, and he calls the whole thing off. The Black Knight actually was on a very special mission. Archon's like, all right, shut it down, everybody. My bad. Sorry about that. Uh... Let's be allies. And the Avengers are like, screw you, dude. <laughs> you screwed up. You're a total jerk. We're out of here. Staying around in your ruined planet that you had a war for no reason. And the end. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's right. The only thing possibly as dramatic as Roy Thomas's dialogue is John Bashima's awesome art. Every character is constantly screaming flexing. There's at least three explosions per page. These 70s Avenger stories were a riot and just too much fun to revisit. Except for the Vision and Scarlet Witch ones. Except for those. No, no, not those. <laughs> I need to spend more time with this run. I don't have much experience with the Black Knight, but he might replace Vision 
as the team's drama queen after reading this. Yeah, he's cursed and he's real mad about it. Holy crap, is he upset about it? Unlike well, Matt, it's a blood curse. I guess it's, so. Unlike Vision, though, he doesn't seem to whine as much. And he's a really great vehicle to pull the team into any sword and sorcery tale. Archon, like a blood curse is worse than a normal curse, is sure. what I'm saying. Archon is another character that I don't know crap about. No. But he seems to be a really loud barbarian turned overly confident jerk that throws lightning bolts. And I think I love him. I want more Archon. <laughs> he was great. Archon, yeah. I'm giving this a buy it. I can't tell a lie. I, I, I have to give this a skim it, but only because um, I actually forgot this the second I finished reading it. Like the second I was done, I forgot that I finished <laughs> because I looked at the list again today. And I'm like, oh, wait, did I finish reading that Avengers comic? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, my God. Like there's it's it's got almost zero substance. I think it's because it um, ends so quickly. It's, it's just such like, an abrupt ending. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and that that that's just a personal thing, because like if this did not stick with me at all. And um, but all of the things you're saying are correct, like. The art, of course, is tremendous, and I was delighted to see that not only is it John Buscema, but it's inked by Tom Palmer, who would ink him for many, 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 many years, uh, including uh, those Avengers Under Siege issues I talked about uh, a while back on the show um, after uh, Tom Palmer died, uh, which is probably one of the greatest Avengers stories ever told. Um, so, yeah, Tom, the team of John Buscema and Tom Palmer is a winner absolutely black knight is fun he is very mad about his blood curse god he's the mad. only thing i know about archon <laughs> is that simon williams played him in the archon film franchise in the marvel universe hey all right here so, uh, yeah, archon was played by wonder man in the film franchise. okay this is the uh some of the hawkeye dialogue i was talking about if there's anything behind this scream dream we better find out somebody better scout up brother thor on the devil <laughs> Okay, but that's not jive. Does that sound like Hawkeye to you? <laughs> it's know. not jive, and you are doing a voice, so... But I cannot deny that it's it's fun to read in the moment, and the art is great. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it was fun. You might love it. Let's take a peek into the dark history of young Joe Patrick with Star Crystal War here. Oh, number six. Are we going to learn something Marvel. that we, we can't unlearn about Joe? <laughs> uh, you know, probably not. Uh, this is from Marvel Comics. Uh, again, we're kind of on a roll here. Uh, the year was 1983. It's written by Joe Duffy. Uh, she's going by Mary Joe Duffy at this point, but she would eventually drop the Mary and just go by Joe Duffy. Okay. Um, the art is by Ricardo Viamonte. Uh, if you've never heard of Ricardo Viamonte, join the club. Here's your solicit. He made this his Chris Star money and he retired. <laughs> yeah, he took that Chris Star money. Sailed yeah. into the sunset. <laughs> it, uh, like, I like to think that like he is actually the creator of Chris Star, Crystal Warrior, and he just was like, nobody can draw the comic but me. That's the, that's the deal, Marvel. Could be. And they were like, okay. Uh, here's your solicit. This one's courtesy of fandom.com. Not as impressive as the one from mycomicshop.com, but still appreciated. You'll hang on every word, gasp at every panel, Nightcrawler of the X-Men guest stars, and when he lands on the planet Crystallium, he's mistaken for a chaos demon. What could possibly make things worse? How about Zardeth and Moltar? They're just delighted to see him. 
I mean, I guess that would be bad if you know who Zardeth and Moldar are. Yeah, but they sound delighted, so maybe they're not so but bad. But through, through context know. clues, we will come to learn <laughs> that that is probably bad. Uh, now, I did. I had a couple of uh, Chris Stark comics as a kid. I had no idea that they were tied to a toy line at that time. Uh, Matt and I talked about this a little bit uh, when we were planning this episode. And I think it was kind of a Secret Wars situation where the toy line and the comic came about at the same time. Uh, Galoob, the toy manufacturer, said, hey. We've got this new toy coming out. We want Marvel to come up with the story. And Marvel was like, no problem. And oh, they did I, it. No, check it out from the wiki. It, it's just the opposite. Since the toys were released first, many assumed the comic had been a licensed adaptation of the toy line. But Chris Starr and all the characters in the toy line and comic book were created and owned by Marvel Comics, which had oh, created the concept know. with the express intent of selling the license to a toy company. Yes, it's the exact opposite of ROM, basically. I, I guess that's that's interesting. I did not know that they owned Chris Star, which yeah. is weird because they've never done anything else with it. They came up with it. All right. Well, anyhow, uh, I didn't have the X-Men tie-in issues, but I did love those Chris Star issues that I did have to death. That said, the highlight of this issue is probably the great cover by Michael Golden. <laughs> the issue harkens back to a time before the Danger Room was a bunch of hard light holograms, and it was cool to date your adopted sister. Yeah, we're talking about Nightcrawler, and he's got a hot date with Amanda Sefton after a late-night, last-minute danger room sesh. Because Kurt can't be bothered to walk ten feet into another room without teleporting, he finds himself in the magical land of Crystallium, where two warring factions barely maintain the barest minimum of peace, thanks to a treaty that saw one side transformed into Agents of Order, Crystal Warriors, and the other, Agents of Chaos, Lava Monsters. Of course, this doesn't stop the two sides from sniping at each other, and Nightcrawler is immediately mistaken for a chaos demon and attacked by both sides. What follows are some odd scenes where the Crystal Warriors search for Nightcrawler, while the chaos monsters try to whine and dine him. For some reason, Kurt doesn't immediately assume that a group of people claiming to be agents of chaos demons are evil. I blame the liberal education he got at the Xavier School. Well, he also is blue skin. People called him a demon. He's not so bad. You yes, know? but they are actual know? agents of chaos demons, different and they said strokes, so to his different face. folks, you know? Okay. There's some saber rattling and some very low stakes combat, and before you know it, Nightcrawler bamps back to his sexy sister's loving arms. He's not fooling anyone, though, because he brought back a necklace worn by a known quote unquote hussy and amanda sees right through him it's all really silly and clearly aimed at children for all the talk of demons and evil wizards nobody is ever in any real peril if a parent was going to find something to complain about i'd assume it was the oddly sexy female characters running around in chainmail bikinis or in the case of the molten lavour even less she is naked yeah just she, she just is butt naked just doesn't have nipples that's about it but she's yeah, naked she's, I mean, she's covered in <laughs> she's like she's got molten rock skin like the All thing right. i mean it looks like very soft molten rock skin. like <laughs> yeah. like molten like still flowing molten she's lava pretty not like curvy for rocks. molten lava yeah, she's very very <laughs> curvy uh, the art by Viamonte is a lot of fun, and it definitely reminded me of stuff like the comics that came packed with He-Man toys. Uh, it might not be the best fit for mainstream sequential comic art, 
but it's still very detailed and expressive with clear depictions of the characters and the environments. I definitely have fond memories of these Crystar comics from my childhood, despite never owning a single piece from the toy line, but I can't say with any sincerity that they hold up to the ravages of time. Still, they have a bit of charm, but they're fun to look at. I'm giving it a skim it. I think this art was pretty solid. Like it looks It is solid. Good. It's it's a little weird. I mean, it's not oh, yeah, I agree it's a little weird. Now I will say nothing says we're in sales trouble like putting an X-Man on the cover. And this is only issue number six. I mean, I don't know if Marvel owned the thing. Maybe they planned this from the start. Who I, knows? I kind of doubt it because they really just farted Nightcrawler into the story and then they fart him straight out. So it was almost just like, put an X-Man on the cover. It'll sell, you know? <laughs> so, like, how many issues did this run for? Like 12. Yeah, I, I think it was already in trouble by this point. But yeah. There's just not a lot of substance here. It is what it is. And like, you can tell it's like a 30 minute cartoon, right? Yeah. It's like a 30 minute kids yeah. cartoon kind of, they're trying to feed a toy line and, and I get it. So there's only so much work they put into it. You know, I guess it's fun to see Nightcrawler doing this kind of stuff. And I guess technically this makes it Marvel canon because Nightcrawler showed up, I guess. But, uh, so that, is it also maybe like the first, the, is it maybe the first solo Nightcrawler adventure? This was Nightcrawler. No, Nightcrawler number one was 1985. So it might be his first solo. I don't know if there was like a team up with Spidey or something before this, but I mean, might be I, his first solo appearance in another book. I don't know. I mean, he may have, he may have had some, he definitely had some solo scenes in X-Men, but yeah, this is like the, rather the other X-Men don't even show up. No, I mean, Nightcrawler was hot at the time. So <laughs> maybe that was all they thought they needed to get this pumped up. I'm going to give it a skim it as well because the art's not bad. But there really isn't much else here other than some like super sexy crystal girls and super sexy lava girls. <laughs> they, they loaded full of that. Nothing gets teenage boys attention like busty nude lava girls, I guess. We were still into sexy things in the sure. 80s. While we're on the subject of hot, sexy, mod boutique owning ladies, let's talk about Wonder Woman, volume one, number 202 from DC. This was back in 1972. This was written by Samuel Delaney with art by Dick Giordano. Here's your setup here, and just stay with me, okay? This wild and wooly pre-crisis Wonder Woman story takes place during a time where she had lost her powers as part of a deal to stay in man's world to help her main squeeze, Steve Trevor, who is not in this issue, by the way. Diana was wearing a white onesie and ran a mod boutique when not adventuring with her martial arts sensei, I Ching. While Trevor isn't here in this story, Ching is, and he spends the whole time speaking like a fortune cookie, because that's what Asian people did in comics and movies at the time. Ching, Diana, and Catwoman have been transported to Nuhan uh, in the previous issue, I guess, by a gem called the Fist of Flame that I Ching was holding on to. Apparently, the Fist has a sister gem called the Eye of the Ocean. And they don't just teleport people around randomly. You can see who is holding on to the other gem by looking into them. And if you plug them into a dimensional energy matrix machine, you can also use them to teleport. And if you plug them into two snakes at an evil temple, you could also use them to teleport. I mean, I think, the two, I, think the, I think the two snakes is the dimensional energy matrix. No, machine. no, no. Because there's one in the present that... Eching's evil daughter Lu Shang is using. Yeah. And in right. the past, there's one the evil sorcerer is using with the two snakes. 
So these things just teleport all over the damn place, apparently. Uh, but but to confirm, yes, this did happen in the previous issue because I had to look up. I needed to know more about this weird ass Catwoman. Gotcha. So confirmed. That is how we now know they got to New Han. Let's talk about Catwoman for a second because she is not wearing anything recognizable i would argue i would argue the guards in front of the evil sorcerer's temple are dressed more like catwoman than catwoman is (laughs) so she um she is wearing a costume that debuted i believe it was in batman 210 okay um i looked this up earlier this morning um and then it ran for a number of years. So in 1969, she got the costume and then uh, she wore it all the way through the mid seventies. Really? Uh, before she went back to that, like purple dress number with the green cape. I had never seen this version of Catwoman, and I was it's, just so confused. Not, yeah. It's not a, like, I mean, also consider, I, I think very much like Mary Jane at the time, you weren't seeing Catwoman in every issue of Batman. Right. right. Your uh, Catwoman appearances may have been few and far between at the time. And uh, it's not something that is very well known. Also, in this issue, you don't see it, um, but she wears a mask with it. Um, okay, I remember. Has, like I remember the mask. Eyes. Yes, the ma- in the previous issue, the mask she's she's fighting, and the mask gets knocked off. Okay. So right now she's running around sans mask. So they are all transported to Nuhan, which is the home of two of your favorite fantasy characters, Joe Patrick. Fafford and the gray mouser. You're always I, talking about them. <laughs> like I, I have been here. I have been hearing about Fafford and the gray mouser for literally my entire life. And I have no idea who they are or what they do. I had never heard of them before this, but I can tell you. These, really? Yeah. I never had these two swashbucklers were created by author Fritz Lieber. And they started in several fantasy novels before being licensed by DC for their short lived Sword of Sorcery, not Sword and Sorcery. Sword. Oh, I thought it was Sword of Sorcery series, which lasted five issues before okay. cancellation. I actually, there's an ad for that comic at the end of this, but they call it something I different. That it was called Swords Against Sorcery. That's what they say in the ad. That is not what but the actual what series is called. called. Yep. Okay, it's a whole yeah, thing. There you go. Now, fun thing about Fritz Lieber, he had a problem with people like J.R. Tolkien. Edgar Rice Burroughs, because he didn't think that their fantasy was believable enough. So he came up with two (laughs) characters that were a little more realistic. Yeah. So Fafford is like seven feet tall. He's huge, big barbarian guy, but he's actually really smart. And the gray mouser, five feet tall, thief, rapier, dagger type guy, right? He's a rogue. Yeah, he's kind of like a rogue. Like any good hero crossover, everyone has to fight before they team up against their respective bad guys. Diana is being chased by Ching's daughter, Lu Shan, and Farford, and the Gray Mauser are dealing with a sorcerer named Goron. Both bad guys want the jewels, and the good guys have to learn to get along to stop them. If there's anything redeeming about this comic, it's the incredible artwork of Dick Giordano. The guy is a Silver Age legend. The story, however, is so Silver Age, it's almost impossibly (laughs) dumb and a little hard to follow. Fafford and the Grey Mouser have little to no personality other than generic fantasy characters. Although I will say there is a scene where Catwoman and Mouser chase an actual mouse that Ching communicated with. Because again, he's a magic Asian person, I guess. Catwoman has cat in her name. The Grey Mouser has Mouser in his name. How can they resist? 
I mean, I guess a mouser is a, another word for somebody who chases mice. I guess, right? Diana's completely unrecognizable, not just in her outfit, but in her character as well. Apparently, DC was trying to update her a bit, but I would argue mod Diana comes off as generic action hero with a sensei at best. Johnny Double is in this book for some reason. My only other experience with him was the Brian Azzarello, Edward Rizzo Vertigo miniseries in 1998 that reinvented the super mod Silver Age PI as more of a foul-mouthed crime noir PI. This was a wild time in Wonder Woman's history that I've never read, and I cannot say I'm in a hurry to read anymore. Farfit and the Grey Mouser could be interesting fantasy characters. You would not know it from this story. I am giving this <laughs> a leave it. I was happy when it was over. <laughs> uh, you know who loves Fafford and the Grey Mouser? Mike Mignola. Oh. That guy was always talking about, uh, he was always drawing Fafford and the Grey Mouser. I think um, I do remember seeing him draw that stuff. Okay. Yeah. I think I do. Yeah. Um, like, I, I literally, like, I've heard of them. I don't know anything about them. And I'm kind of stunned to hear that they are as modern as they are. Yeah. I always thought Fafford and the Grey Mouser were based off of, like, old English, like Chaucer era, like Beowulf type proto hero characters, but no, um, they're just literary characters from a novelist. 1936. So he was like yeah. him and HB Lovecraft were buddies. Sure. And whatever, I mean, they're whatever, uh, the, Probably the racist story buddies is too, I'll bet, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. pre-crisis Wonder Woman. Man. Her character is essentially that she has no character. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry to people that I'm sorry to people that love pre-crisis Wonder Woman, but <laughs> every time I've read pre-crisis Wonder Woman, she's just been like there. Yeah. She's been like, just she's been there. DC, we don't write girls. Like even in her own book, she's not like even in her own book, it's the I Ching show and Favorite and the Grey Mouser and Catwoman. Or Steve Trevor or Johnny Double or whatever yeah, dude is like, around. I mean, I guess Wonder Woman's there and she's you know, she's she has some action, but it's like there's nothing stand out about like Wonder Woman in this comic. No. The art is great. Dick Giorgiano is is super good. I mean <laughs> I guess it's a leave it. You don't need to read it. <laughs> you really don't. Like I, for the I, sake, this is a Wonder Woman comic starring Wonder Woman, and Wonder Woman is probably, I don't know, has as much screen time as Johnny Double in this. I would say a little less than Catwoman. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, know. I guess as a Wonder Woman comic, it's a failure. It, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 a vehicle for guest stars, and sure, there are comic books that that do that, like Marvel Team Up. Um, but this isn't Marvel team up. This is Wonder Woman. Right. She, and her, her arc in this story is non-existent. Yeah. I, I, there's no reason to read this unless you're a Fafford and the gray Mauser super fan. I guess. Yeah. From Asian mysticism to Asgardian might, it is Batman legends of the dark Knight number 35. From DC Comics, 1992 was the year. It's written by Mark Neese and Bo Hampton with art by Bo Hampton. Here's your solicit. A descendant of the legendary Viking prince brings his war against the pollution-spreading Asgard International to Gotham in part one of the two-part Destiny. Batman is by his side in a meeting preordained by a myth involving an incarnation of Batman teamed ages ago with the original Viking prince. All of those things are, those things all happen. Yeah, in this, this is the, comic. the old school Silver Age Viking Prince from DC. 
Yeah. Um, so the Viking Prince is a character I don't really know much about other than that um, he is constantly updated. He was the star of the first issue of The Brave and the Bold, which is the title that would eventually become known as a Batman team up book. But the Viking Prince was the original star of The Brave and the Bold. So yeah. there you have it. There you go. Stick with me here. A man dresses like a Viking and slaughters his way, like literally slaughters his way through the Gotham underground and also goes on television to complain about corporate pollution in his home village half a world away. Somehow, not only is he seen as a sympathetic figure, but Batman's first instinct isn't to send him straight to Arkham. In fact, Batman is downright surprised to learn of his existence at all. This is a much different Dark Knight than the uber-prepared God amongst mortals we're used to, and he's clearly off his game in this story. Coincidentally, this isn't the first time a Viking prince has teamed up with a bat-themed hero, and we learn of Bruce Wayne's heretofore unknown deep Nordic roots. <laughs> Did you know that? I mean, you know, Wayne sounds pretty English, but who are we to judge, I guess? There's not much about the story that worked for me, to be honest, and the art was not much better. Hampton has a sketchy style that's kind of across uh, somewhere between Tim Sale and Lee Weeks, but unfortunately not up to the standards of either. <laughs> Hampton delivers a lovely painted cover, and this two-issue story would have looked great fully painted in that same style. Sadly, Hampton's pencil art leaves something to be desired. If I'm being honest, I thought that Legends of the Dark Knight 35 was a bit of a silly, boring slog that did nothing to inspire me to come back for the finale. If it had been a bit prettier to look at, maybe, but like, I didn't care about this at all, and I don't want to read the next one, and I'm giving it a leave it. <laughs> yeah, like, Bo Hampton's one of those artists where there's panels I look at, and I'm like, that's really good. And then the next right. panel, I go, that is terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, sometimes on the same page, it's it's odd. I'll say that. I mean, this is a fun idea, I guess. But is it, though? I mean, I don't know. I, I'll give you that, like, they're crushing some things into Batman's history only for the reason of going like, now we're going to tell a story starring the Viking Prince back but in Viking I don't days. Even, I don't even think that they're trying to imply that this Bat character is Batman's ancestor. How can they not be, though? I mean, I, I don't know. But there's other than the fact other than the fact that the Waynes had the other half of the amulet, which the Batman Viking does not have. No, but he does wear a bat symbol on his outfit. He does dress like Batman. Yeah. I mean, I think they are absolutely insinuating that there was another that Batman. Make any goddamn sense it doesn't, at all. It doesn't make a damn bit of sense. And I'm, no. I'm giving this a leave it as well because of that. Because there's no way it's happenstance. Oh, he just happened to dress like a bat and wore a bat symbol. And also Bruce Wayne <laughs> wears the same bat symbol, has this weird <laughs> amulet that connects him to Norse mythology, yeah. or these Norse people or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's too much of a reach. It's silly. The art is not good. I'm giving this a leave. It. <laughs> uh, I mean, but you know what? It does serve to illustrate the beauty of Legends of the Dark Knight, which is that you can treat whole chunks of it as Elseworlds. Sure. And nobody will care. <laughs> I, I have a feeling and I don't know, but I have a feeling there was something in this book where they were like, oh, my great ancestor, Batthurfson Thordle or something, you know, or whatever. <laughs> And, and editorial was like, no, 
take that out, you know? And they're like, well, that's the whole book though. And like, just take that part out and we'll print it. Who cares? Like, I I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I know that at the time we weren't kind to it and it's been years since I read it, but it made more sense when a backwards traveling, uh, time traveling Bruce Wayne was his own Viking Batman ancestor. Yes, absolutely. In the return of the, in the return of Bruce Wayne from Batman R.I.P. That's all you got to do. If you want to tell a story with the shining Knight. Hey, we got Metron. We got plenty of people that can travel time. Yeah. Batman bumps up too close to the chair and farts into, you know, the ancient Denmark. Whatever. There you go. You know, just do it. Don't do this. This is I just like, just just from the jump, the premise that like an educated man from the modern day would be like, yeah, I'm going to dress like a Viking and carry a sword and go kill a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You and know. then also complain about climate uh, pollution. Now, hold on. We got a guy that like carries a ventriloquist that shoots guns and kills people. We got another guy yeah, that dresses like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. You know? No, I'm not saying we treat them like heroes. But yeah. the Riddler often we did. He became like famous plenty of times. Joe mentioned Elseworlds, but I'd like to ask him more Marvel question. What if? Specifically, what if number 39 from Marvel 1983? <laughs> it's written by Alan Zelenitz, superstar Alan Zelenitz with art <laughs> by Ron Wilson. Nothing against Alan Zelenitz. I've never heard of the guy. <laughs> never heard of the guy. No. Now, this issue of What If is a play on King Size Annual Thor number eight. You, we all remember that one, right? It was huge. A classic, yeah. It came out in 1979 where a younger Thor and Loki are battling storm giants. A giant crevice opens up, revealing a cave that transports them to ancient Greece. And Thor ends up fighting in the Trojan War. That old gem, right? This is the second time Thor has found this mysterious cave. The last time was in Thor Annual 1. And it turned out to be a mysterious backdoor to Olympus. But in this issue of What If... Thor takes a left turn instead of a right turn, and he ends up in ancient Hyperborea, where he must face his most deadly combatant yet, a beefy guy with a sword, Conan the <laughs> Barbarian. Oh, this issue of What If seems to start at the events of Conan number eight, according to the fandom page I read, where Corinthian soldiers were tracking the Sumerian. Thor comes into contact with Conan in the first couple pages, and like any good hero crossover, they have to fight first before they team up, which is ridiculous because even young Thor should win this fight every time, even without his memory, blind, sitting down, asleep, Thor whips Conan because Conan is just a badass and not even a Batman-level badass. He's a shirtless barbarian with a sword, and Thor is a god, goddammit! But point of order, they they mention multiple times in this story that Thor does not have his powers. I understand. He doesn't have his he powers. He lost his abilities. I'll give you it says his abilities are greatly reduced. But I still think the hammer's magic, and we can fight about that in a little bit. When they do decide to team up and take on the Corinthian soldiers, again, just a bunch of dudes with swords, Conan talks Thor into doing it with a sword. Not as mystically all-powerful hammer, and Thor is fine with it because he can't remember shit. So, Thor stops using all of his powers and magic hammer to act like Conan on a typical Conan adventure. There was even a scene where a boulder trap falls on Thor that could have had him get bonked on the head right there. Forget he was a god. Fine, I'll buy it. Instead, there's mention of him losing his memory because of a cave, time travel, whatever. 
So, of course, he asks Conan to lead him to Krom for answers. Krom reminds Thor he's an Asgardian and reveals that Krom can also lift Mjolnir. So can Thothamon's winged messenger and Thothamon, who steals Mjolnir after Krom throws it. Now, at this point, he's doing all kinds of magic stuff with the hammer. So it's still enchanted, correct? Um, Krom is like shooting lasers out of it and stuff. And like, and he's well, even Krom saying like, is, with, like Krom not Krom, is, I'm sorry, Thothamon is like with Thothom- this enchanted Thothamon, hammer. Yes, Thothamon has the hammer. Well, no. He says, like, with this enchanted hammer, I can take over whatever. And da, 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 Thothamon da. has the hammer and he's using it to mess up the weather all over the planet. Right. So it's still enchanted. The hammer still does stuff. Thor just can't remember the hammer does shit. That's where we're at. Well, Thor is not or he's not able to use it because they never really spell out like rules like who can still pick Mjolnir up. <laughs> but everybody, the answer is everybody. But everybody Mjolnir, picks is, up Mjolnir is still important enough that evil wizard wants to steal it to take over Hyperborea. Well, he's also a wizard, so maybe he recognizes that it's enchanted and he's able to like wake it up. Who knows? I don't know. They never go into any of that. Some of it is murky. I will admit. Yes. So Thothamon steals Mjolnir, wants to take over Hyperborea with it. They have a big fight. Thor summons the lightning and dies. He's killed while battling Thothamon and he gives a hammer to Conan and tells him, go meet Krom. But instead of actually seeing what happens when Conan meets Krom, we get three pages of mountain climbing that end with this shit. But whether he attained the cloud-strewn summit and stood before the grim god Krom does not matter. What matters is that on this day, Conan the Mortal took his first step toward becoming much more. Meaning, we couldn't figure out how to end this, so we just wrote these two boxes and ended it. Okay, no. I hated this. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. (laughs) I hated this comic. The art wasn't bad. I'll say that. The art was pretty good. But it's just teaming up with Conan to team up with Conan. Nothing really happens. Thor is just... Welcome to every issue of What If, Matt. Yeah, but a lot of those were interesting, at at least. Like, I mean, shouldn't the story be, what if Conan became Thor? Wouldn't that be way more interesting than what we got here? That is the payoff. Thor well, is- he doesn't become Thor. He gets a hold of Mjolnir and is tasked with taking the hammer to Krom. Right. And we get to the point where he's taking it to Krom and they stop. <laughs> Come on. Yes, because that's how <laughs> adventure stories end. No, Thor is not. Thor is just not a character that needs to team up with Conan unless Conan is gifted a magic weapon and powered up. I don't need to see it the other way around. Weak ass Thor, forgetful Thor, whatever Thor this was. Does not do it for me at all. I'm giving this a leave it. The payoff is Thor loses the hammer. Conan becomes Thor. We see Conan in the armor doing shit, fighting Thothamon. That is what if, man. That's the payoff. Not but this. That's like, not the story here. This that's almost like, feels like we were going to get another issue and they didn't do it. <laughs> no, I don't agree. I hated it. My turn now. Like in this world, Odin's enchantments don't mean shit. And that's partially because um, Thor comes from an age that has not yet come to pass. Like he is not like this era predates Thor. They say it more than once that um, uh, that Thor is from an age that has yet to become. He still does and call it, the lightning and kill Thoth Amon, though. Well, so they climb the mountain or at least Thor climbs the mountain because the closer he gets to Krom who is the closest thing that the world has to Odin at this time, 
the stronger he gets, the more his powers come back to him. Uh, Conan can't cut it at the time, and sure. he's he stays behind. And that's where we get Crom saying, "How dare you uh, show up on my doorstep and and make demands? You're not a god here. Get out of town!" And he throws the hammer away. Right. So um, they go on a quest to go find Th- Thothamon, and they fight Thothamon, and they struggle. And Thor finally figures out, oh, man, I'm Thor. I can call down the lightning. He summons the lightning. He kills Thothamon. But because he also does not have his godly strength, it kills him as well. Thus, the end of the mighty Thor in this issue of What If. He gives the hammer to Conan, who does not become Thor because that's not what's going on here. He says, take the hammer to to Krom and let him see it as a symbol of an age where deities will rule with love for humanity and mankind and blah, 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 all that flowery shit. And then the story ends in a very, what I thought was a very cool, fitting, classic adventure kind of way where it's like, well, whether Conan made it, it's a tale for another time. You know, it's like, that's basically how it ends. And that thought that was great. Yeah. Um, I'm giving this a skim it because it's not nearly as bad as you say. Um, the art is Ron Wilson. He's good. He's I really think good. Ron Wilson's yeah. pretty good. I, I think that you were just mad about it and that flowered your entire experience. But I read this this morning with a clear head and I thought it was actually pretty good. So it's a skim. You know, Matt, I, uh, I learned something today. And that is that every planet basically has a Conan, <laughs> even Krypton. Yep. All of them. <laughs> Lots of Thor's running around too. We'll talk about that Lots in a little bit. Lots of Thor's <laughs> running around. Yeah, it's true. You're right. Uh, of course, I am talking about Superman, Blood of My Ancestors. It is a prestige format one shot from DC. The year was 2003. It's written by Gil Kane and Stephen Grant with art by Gil Kane, John Buscema, and Kevin Nolan. Here's your solicit. Some of the final work of the legendary artists Gil Kane and John Buscema pits Superman against a strange alien menace that devours memories. The Man of Steel's memories harken back to an era where the House of El began, but can Superman's earliest ancestor defy the great god Rao and restore order to Krypton? When an alien beast called Nemon or Nemon, you know, it's kind of like mnemonics, M-N-E-M-O-N, forces Superman to relive the genetic memory of his earliest ancestor, we discover the origin of the House of El and their connection to the Kryptonian sun god Rao, as well as Earth's Old Testament. Superman Assassin's Creed, basically. Superman Assassin's Creed caveman. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's I mean, that's not really how memories work, but nope. and and Superman even makes a note like, "Hey, how can I be remembering this?" But okay. Uh L is a boy living as part of a tribe of wasteland-dwelling villagers on the devastated Krypton of 500,000 years ago. L's tribe worships Rao, a deity familiar to most Superman fans. But there is a rival for Rao's devotion, a self-styled quote-unquote god named Utor. Yes, Love like that Luthor. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and those easy parallels all, are all over this comic book, so get used to it. The story is pretty boilerplate barbarian fantasy with a biblical allegory so thick, it's more like they did a search and replace 
and dropped new names into the story of Samson and Delilah. Absolutely. Literally. (laughs) The ending is the same. The only thing missing is uh, L smashing a bunch of Utor's guys with the jawbone of an ass. Yeah. There's a lot of characters shouting the names of other characters, along with a description of the events that we just read. L, my son, my son is dead, etc. So don't come into blood of the answer, uh, blood of my ancestors looking for a great script. The draw here is the art by two of the Silver Age's greatest artists. Both Kane and Buscema passed away before this issue was released, which likely makes this the final comic project that they worked on. These men are obviously not at the peak of their abilities at this uh, late stage in their in their lives, but it's still easy to see the magic in their work. There are moments, though, where it is unclear which artist you're looking at, but the great Kevin Nolan is there to provide the kind of artistic continuity that the book needs. Superman Blood of My Ancestors is less successful as a coherent narrative than it is as a final showcase for two industry titans, but there's still some fun to be found in its pages. I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, I love Gil Kane, and I love Bushima, all right? And I'm glad that they got together and did this. I did sure. not like this at all. <laughs> I just thought it was boring and it was long and it was like, and you're exactly right. It was Samson and Delilah. It's all it was. And yep. you saw it coming a mile away. And then after you see that coming, you know how it's going to end. And they literally just swapped a couple names here and there. And it's like, you know, what's interesting about Superman, Joe, Superman has superpowers. He's Superman. He flies around Cape. He fights, you know, giant robots and stuff. You know what? I've yeah. never been like, God, I would love to read Superman and some type of biblical adventure. <laughs> like, I just don't understand what they were going for. <laughs> and like, I'm not punishing them. Like, like you said, they're older and whatever. And it's cool. They got to work on this. I cannot give this a skim because I'm never going to read it again. I did well, not care. That does, for that's it. not what a skim it means, but I kind of hated it. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you hated it, you yeah, hated it. It's just the story was ridiculous. And, it, you know, it just felt like, guys, we, there's got to be a more interesting story you could tell. E- even in like a Superman fantasy kind of way, they just lifted the story of Samson and Delia. I have to give this a leave it. I mean, at least for the end, the, yeah. the beginning part is you know kind of probably a mix of different yeah it almost starts a certain way and then it's like it just seems like they couldn't figure their way out of it from the second they introduced the lana lang lois lang ll just femme fatale there's no reason to do it stop it we don't need to do that okay like they they gouge his eyes out and he pushes the pillars down and crushes all the the you know the it's like it's I, I wish I, I cannot stress this enough. It is exactly yes. the end of Samson and Delilah. Yes. Exactly. And like the story didn't start that way. It's like they got lost and they were just like, what do we do? What do we do? And like, I don't know. What if we just change it into Samson and Delilah? <laughs> I don't know. Like, and it's a violent change. I might add. The art is nice though. It's nice to see the those art's guys. It's perfectly nice. Something. It's not my favorite stuff by them. It's perfectly nice. I got to give it or leave it. I hate it. I'm sorry. All right. Let's end with a double dose of Superman. Talk about Action Comics number 761. This is from DC 2001. This is written by Joe Kelly with art by Jermaine Garcia. German. German. No I in there. Oh, is it just German? 
I promise. It may, okay. it may have autocorrected for you. I wrote Germain a lot. It's, Which, it's, yeah, it's, it's German. It, it might be pronounced, you know, Hermann. I don't know how it's pronounced, but it's just like, it's spelled German, German Garcia. Gotcha. With art by German Garcia, it's probably Hermann Garcia. Here is your setup. Superman goes to Asgard. Yep. There's a DC Asgard complete with Thor and everything. And insidious force has taken over Asgard and Thor has summoned Superman and Wonder Woman to his aid in taking back his father's kingdom. The only catch is they can't leave until the battle is done. And a short Asgardian war is typically about a thousand years. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lois is back at home wondering if she's worthy of being Clark's wife because of a deal she's made with Lex. I believe that deal was like Lex is like, look, I have a way I could kill Superman. I won't do it. But you have to let me kill one story of my choice of your writing. Is that right? Um, I don't know if it has, I don't remember if it has anything to do with him having like a, a, a Superman killing weapon because what else is new? But yes, like I believe she does agree to kill one story. He of his knew choosing. something about Superman that would expose something, him. I something, yeah, I don't remember exactly what, right. but yes. Garcia is fantastic on art. The most re he most recently drew that last Kazar Lord of the Savage Land mini at Marvel. It was. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yeah. And it's beautiful. I did not know that was the same guy. That's the same dude where Kazar is wearing the living starfish that transforms into shit, which yeah, right. I really didn't need, but you know, it looked very pretty. Hey. <laughs> his style has come a long way since his action run, but he's still great here with his quirky, chunky animated style. I love Joe Kelly's run on action, but I had no memory of this story. I don't know if I just completely missed it. I went and checked my action run from Joe Kelly. I don't have this issue and I don't know why it's a one and done story. Has some fun with DC's Thor. We get to see Soup's Carrie Mjolnir, too. We get to see Superman become Thor in this issue, okay? And it's He doesn't become awesome. Thor. He just carries Mjolnir. And he wears the armor and everything. He's doing he Thor stuff. Armor. It's he kick ass. Oh, right? he stop it. He's not Thor. He's Superman. I will buy that Superman is worthy, not Conan. But that, that's a Marvel Comics conceit, Matt. <laughs> the main story plot is Clark never giving up his love for Lois, even after a thousand years battling next to the very, very sexy Wonder Woman. Kelly is fantastic, writing both Clark and Lois here. His run was just about a perfect example of how to write Superman. I am giving this a buy it. This is how you do a fantasy one shot with a character that gets sucked out of time or whatever. This is exactly how you do it. It was still grounded. In normal continuity, yep. it happens in Asgard, set aside. We get to see character growth. Things actually happen. Loved this. Yeah, I agree. And our mandate for this episode was very specifically characters that we know in their traditional roles getting brought into the fantasy world, which means no Elseworlds, right? No stories where it's like, but this is just when Superman was always a Viking. Right. It's like, no. This is where Superman is fighting an alien and remembering stuff that he shouldn't know. Or this is when Batman has an ancestor who happens to be a Viking Batman. Right. You know, like these were all like in continuity at the time, or at least maybe except for the what if, I guess. This issue took place like straight in the heart of that action run. And it's so great. And like specifically, the thing that I love the most is that it's not just that they get brought to uh, they're not there to defend Asgard. They're de they're there to keep the forces of evil from storming the gates of Valhalla. Right. So they're trying they're basically trying to keep the demons out of the gates of Asgardian hell heaven. 
um, which is rad. That's just a, that's the setup for a great story. And it could have been a multi-part, you know, it could have been a 12 part maxi epic arc. Yeah. Like Thor calls him because Asgard has fallen and it's yeah. like, this is our last ditch. This is all we've got left. Yeah, yeah, it's all you, it's, we got you guys. Kelly puts forth these ideas in just a few sentences that make total sense when you think about them is that like uh for like the fact that even though they are from different pantheons wonder woman is like duty bound yeah to fight with thor her honor demands that she that she stand with thor and i thought that that was rad you know there's this subplot going on with that uh la Ekentadora who is just like her i as much as I can remember about her, her power is that she's busty and she's got, she's got magic she hypnotizing gas is busty. <laughs> and I, don't, and I don't, I don't really remember much else about her, but like, she's got mind controlling. She's got an amulet that generates this mind controlling vapor or whatever. She kissed Superman. And yeah, oh. she kissed, yeah. She kissed Superman because she just couldn't resist. Yep. And, and so there is like still some forward action uh, on the subplot front, like this thing with uh, Lex uh, Simmers for a while. But we get some great character stuff with Perry White as well. This is a great issue and not just because it's 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 great action. It's great art and it's wonderful character work. And it's all done in one issue. Joe Kelly is a master. Yeah, he is a master. And I'm. Like I'm grateful for all of his success, but I really miss that guy riding like a major. I do too. Like they tried with that nonstop Spider-Man. Like I, I swear to God, if it did, it ever even come out? Yeah, it came One out. One issue came out. Two issues came out. I think it. I think there was a solid four or five issues, and then it was kind of like that's eh, that. Thanks. But yeah, like I, I miss seeing Joe Kelly's name on a major marquee book every month. Yeah, I agree. But that guy, but that guy is like making big time Hollywood money because he created Ben Ten and I Kill Giants and all that kind of other stuff. And good for him because he deserves it. This is a huge buy it. This is a great comic book. Five issues of nonstop Spider-Man we got. And it says Marvel listed as 2021 to present. So maybe it's still going. It's just. Sure. Right. Really? Yeah. It's just slow. <laughs> Check out our ludicrous speed reviews over at nerd.com for more new comics that we read. And if you want to know more about the comics we just discussed. Check out our show notes where you can find links with more information so you can learn more about Archon's love life and hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Now, Matt, before we move on, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN private collection. I've already foreshadowed my decision, but will I stick with it? Woo, that's a that's a lot. I didn't foreshadow mine. Mine is action comics. I mean, definitely. Yeah, it's action comics. Of course it's action No question. Comics. It's so that, good. That issue is just excellent. But it's also very new and very modern. And so part of me wants to look back at one of these older ones and be like. But we didn't like most of the other older ones. Who did it well back in the day? You know, and I almost feel Chris bad. Chris Claremont and John Byrne. I almost. They did it good. Yeah. They did it and well that's what I was going to say. The Marvel team up with Red Sonja. I think I'm going to give it to that one. Because like, look. No, you don't have to do that. But I want to do it. It's not recency bias. That was 2001 and, and 20 I get years that. ago. But I want to do it because I honestly forgot that Claremont and Byrne did a lot of great Spider-Man stuff. And reading it, I was like, oh shit, I need to go back and revisit this. This stuff was so good. And a stupid throwaway issue of Marvel team up with red friggin' Sonya in it is great. <laughs> it's really great. So I'm giving it to Marvel team up. I think we only gave two bites in this episode. I think it's going to make it really hard for me when I write the Twitter post. A lot of it was bad. <laughs> Just bad. A lot of it was bad. <laughs> um, I'm 
I'm sticking to my guns and I'm going to give it to Action Comics because while I did really love that Marvel team-up issue, Action Comics had everything that I wanted in a Superman comic because it had action, it had great art, but it also had really wonderful character development. Yeah. Which, as fun as that action as that Marvel team-up issue is, it's not about character development. It's about Spider-Man fighting monsters. Right, right. So. I don't think you have to worry because Alan Zelenitz is not on Twitter. So. I don't know if Alan Zelenitz is a real person, <laughs> to be honest with you. So. <laughs> As we reincorporate in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, it's time to inventory the arcane gems and enchanted weapons we picked up on our tour of these ancient barbaric worlds. Gross! It looks like the evil wizard Gowron left his sister gem in the bathroom and you can see everything. Yeah, Put that thing down! Let's tell these nerds about our must-read picks for Wednesday, September 14th. It's too bad we can't text this guy or something. Like, Garon! You left the gem on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Turn off your gem. Turn off your gem. My pick for next week is Batman v Robin number one. It's technically versus Robin, but I just like saying Batman. I just like saying something v something. It's from DC Comics. The price is five ninety nine. Here, uh, woo! Sorry, I jumped the gun. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Mahmoud Azrar. Here is your solicit. Spinning out of the events of both Batman, Superman, World's Finest, and Shadow War, father and son will do battle in one of the single most earth-shattering tales ever told. Deep in the heart of Lazarus Island, the demonic legacy of the Al Ghul family line has at last been freed, and the devil Neza is out for blood. To reclaim his total domination over planet Earth, Neza has supercharged magic. Anyone who dares use it is overcome by a demonic evil that supercharges their abilities to dangerous, unpredictable, and in some cases, deadly levels. A lot of supercharging going on here. (laughs) A lot of supercharging. With Damien in Neza's clutches and Bruce haunted by the return of an old friend, the Dark Knight and the Boy Wonder are pitted against one another in the battle of the century. Legendary writer Mark Wade helms the next epic saga in Batman history while superstar artist Mahmoud Azrar makes his triumphant return to DC. Welcome back, sir. Yeah. He's been uh he's been gone for a while. He's been doing Marvel stuff. You love to see it. World's Finest is so great. You know what? The Robin book is fun and Shadow War was fun. And, and Mark Wade is fun. This is Mark, and Mark Wade like, is fun, of course. This is like other than Superman Batman, this is really the second thing he's done, right? Well, I mean, like, this is a direct spin off of yeah. his of his first storyline in Superman Batman. Right. Um, but yeah, like Mark Wade is back at DC and, you know, things are just really looking up in the world. OK, don't look for a review of this one next week because we're going to do a TLDR review of the miniseries proper as part of our TLDR Patreon Extra. It's a fun way that we can start talking about entire miniseries as opposed to just a first issue. We'll talk about the whole damn thing. My pick for next week is Masquerade, number one, but don't try and spell it correctly. There's a K in there. It comes from Dark Horse, and it's $3.99. This is written by Kevin Smith and Andy McElfresh. That's a great name. Or Macklefresh. I don't know. With art- Oh, I like Macklefresh. That, that, <laughs> I, I think that sounds pretty jaunty. Yeah. With artists, you want to talk about jaunty. How about artist John Springlemeyer? <laughs> they all sound like they came right out of a fairy tale. I love them. Here's your solicit. 
from Kevin Smith and Secret Stash Press. Felicia Dance is hiding in plain sight. The provocative social media star and shock TV sensation has one of the most recognizable faces in the world. So she can't capture and kill the butchers who murdered her little brother and experimented on Felicia like a lab rat when she was a child. Happens to a lot of famous people, you guys. Not unless she looks like someone else. The face of justice is reshaped forever in Masquerade with a K. An exciting new vigilante comic series from writers Kevin Smith and Andy McElfresh and artist John Sprinklemeyer. God, I love saying their names. Marking the dynamic debut of Smith's secret stash press imprint with his very own vigilante everybody gets an imprint at dark horse you get an imprint you get an imprint you can I mean, might argue that dark horse is nothing but imprints yeah i mean i guess that's kind of true and that's kind of how they do it over there kevin yeah. smith is a good comic writer when he wants to be and I yeah ha- and i have a feeling when working in his own sandbox we're gonna have fun here he's talented i really like the art the art looks great. also got a co-writer with a great name yeah also two creators with great names on this book i'm in yeah, sounds like fun. The THN trade of the week goes to Batman One Dark Knight. It's a hardcover from DC. It's $29.99. It's written and illustrated by Jock. And here's your solicit. When a simple GCPD escort goes sideways, Batman finds himself on the wrong end of Gotham City in the middle of a heat wave with a supervillain in tow. Follow Batman as he traverses block by block across a pitch dark Gotham City while dragging a highly difficult EMP to his permanent home at Blackgate Prison. What's an EMP? I think the character is that the name of the character. I think the character is EMP. That's what, oh, okay. that's what they do. He shuts that's down fine. electricity. I know what an electromagnetic pulse is, is but is that the character's deal? That's I guess. power. The dark corners of Gotham City contain many surprises, and EMP plans to deliver many more shocks before the night is through. Uh, so, uh, this sounds like a fun, like, uh, I like jock. I like jock on Batman and I really like a good, the heroes just got to make it 16 blocks. Yeah. Those are always fun. Can he make it 16 blocks in the name of our, that's the name of our blockbuster new picture. 16 16 blocks. blocks. (laughs) Right. Yeah. This should be good. There aren't a lot of creators out there that I'm like, oh yeah, please come invent a new Batman villain. But. This is Jock. I'll take one from Jock. Yeah. This is Jock we're talking about. I will watch him. I would read him drawing anything. The guy is amazing. And I love the way Jock does Batman. I love it. Oh, I got to check this out. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes. And we always post our must read picks on Discord, Twitter, and Facebook every Wednesday. So you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop. But please let us know what you thought of our picks in the new comics channel of our discord. And we want to know what your must read picks were as well. Do you think our picks were a little Batman heavy this week? That could be a complaint. I could see that. I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. 75% of the books coming out from DC right now are Batman related. So it's it's hard not to be. Excelsior. That is it for THN 678 next week. We're back to the dirty filthy, disgusting business of reviewing new comics. And we're going to give you a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, comics you are reading, swords, sorcery, or any of the weekly nerd news we are following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. It happens on Saturdays at 10.30 Central Time. 
You can watch the broadcast live on Facebook. But if you want to play, if you want to be on the show, if you want to chat with us, you got to join our Discord, learn how to chat or talk with us live, and don't forget, we set you up with something to talk about called the Question of the Week. Swords, sorcery, or other. Those are the three options. Or soups. <laughs> oh, yeah. Swords, sorcery, soups, other. other those, yes. are the, those are the options you have. Uh, the new question of the week is courtesy of the brand new Goocher, Mark Stern. Uh, we did decide that he was the first new Goocher of this decade, All meaning right. the 2020s. What is the most egregious knockoff superhero you've seen in comics? His example, uh, Liefeld's Deadpool, clearly an obvious knockoff of Deathstroke. Uh, so we are saying, what is the worst Wish.com example of a superhero that you can find in comics. Okay, explain me this Wish.com thing. Am I too old to understand? Wish.com, uh, like either if you, I can't believe you've never heard of this meme. Uh, Wish.com is a website, obviously, where you can like go and buy crap, but it's all like lame off brand, like. Oh, Transmorphers it's like DVDs. And- Transmorphers, right. Okay. Yes, exactly. So lame knockoff versions of popular characters. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You guys have been doing great, and we appreciate that. If you can't make it to Cover to Cover Live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline, that number, 402-819-4894. You could be internet famous. Now, if you're going to send a recorded message, we ask that you keep it short because we have a lot of airtime to share with the live callers. So keep it short. We'll cut you off. So if you don't think it's short enough, don't worry. (laughs) If you're new to the show and you're afraid you're not short enough, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. (laughs) The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive. You can find that at twoheadednerd.com. We talk about it a lot. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like Joe Reynolds, the latest sucker to increase his monthly pledge. Joe. I don't know if you have a wife or a family or a husband and a family, but I hope they don't listen to the show because when they find out that you went from $2 a month to $5,000 a month, they're going to think that's irresponsible. Personally, we love it. Okay? We love you more than the other kids, too, for going to patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd where you can become a patron just like Joe. You can also hear all kinds of exclusive content. You'll hear some next week, I promise. Or you can freak out, maybe uh, get loose, and uh, just mash the PayPal button. Make a donation. Just do it for the, for the sake of doing it. You yeah, know? you know, get loose. Yeah, get loose. And don't worry. Everybody is short enough for TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's true. <laughs> there, is the, there is no you must be this tall or you must be this short. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to beloved listener and co-overlord of the THN Facebook fan page, Jimmy Randall, who just celebrated his 10th anniversary at his job. He was so now, handsome, holding his little trophy. He, had, like- he got a little pla- a little glass trophy yeah. and everything. Now, that might not seem like cause for celebration to poor punch clock guys like you and me, but Jimmy loves his job, and he's damn good at it. Word to you, mate proud of you buddy until next time true believers remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might tell everyone that you twerked with she hulk and it was disgusting this is the two-headed nerd signing off i dare him
if I'm a 14-year-old kid reading She-Hulk comics, and you tell me, Matt, you don't know what twerking is, but one day, She-Hulk's gonna do it, and her butt's gonna move this way, I would be like, I would like more of that, please. <laughs> like, be like, How do I get mad at this? Oh, nothing can be sexy anymore. I get it. We can't wait. And then, oh, oh, she's too sexy. I'm still mad. You're like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Shut up, idiots. <laughs> <laughs>